we want to take a few minutes and study scriptures together. Before we begin, let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk about Yom Kippur, about fasting, about the intent of Yom Kippur and the purpose of our fasting so that we can use this holiday in the best possible ways and we can not only get out of it what the Lord wants, but we can put into it what the Lord is looking for. The celebration of Yom Kippur is sometimes a somber thing for people. For some people, Yom Kippur is a once a year religious experience. They come on the high holidays once a year. Some would add Rosh Hashanah to it. And they live the rest of their lives apart from God. And for that person, uh, Yom Kippur and, and Rosh Hashanah may have a certain ritual meaning and a religious meaning, but it's disconnected from daily living. But as I understand it, the purpose of Yom Kippur is to connect what God does for us with the whole of our lives, with the entirety of our lives. And we approach God on Yom Kippur knowing that he's a righteous judge. We have recognized that he's our creator at at Rosh Hashanah. We recognize he's the king. At Yom Kippur, we are saying, Lord, you are a judge and you're a righteous judge. And we're coming before you in humility. One of the ways that we humble ourselves is we fast. And it's traditional at Yom Kippur to fast by abstaining from drink and from food if you're uh, commonly 10 years or older. And if you're able to medically, if health permits, pregnant women shouldn't fast. Uh, People who need to take certain medications shouldn't fast entirely. Some people have medical reasons why they must not fully fast. And for you, you should fast only to the measure that you are able to. But for most people, we we have a, a common goal, which is to humble ourselves by fasting. And when we fast, when we do without food and water, we are saying to the Lord, I'm not relying on my strength. I'm actually insufficient. I'm not powerful. And we render ourselves through fasting. We render ourselves even less powerful. It's hard on Yom Kippur as the day goes on not to feel a little weak. And I know one of the challenges of leading a hate for me is this is a long list that we go through. And it's at a time when my mouth is the most dry. And I'm always thinking, oh, how can I make it through this corporate prayer? It's a challenge. Leading worship is a challenge at Yom Kippur. But the purpose of of fasting and humbling ourselves before God is to accentuate this, to say to the Lord, look at me, I'm really not very powerful. Look at me, I'm I'm really weak. I really cannot save myself. 
And it's not just physical, it's my spiritual condition as well. Look at me, Lord, I'm not really righteous. Look at me, I can't justify myself before you. And we're coming to the Lord, we're not hiding from him, we're coming to him. The common tendency when people are guilty is to hide. You know what it's like when you're on the highway driving 20 miles too fast and then you spot a Florida State trooper. No one ever prays, oh, let him stop me. (laughs) And we even take comfort if someone's driving faster than us. But at Yom Kippur, it should be different. We're coming before the Lord and and we're not saying, well, Lord, I'm better than him or her. We're saying, Lord, I'm just not good enough. And we take stock of ourselves. We examine ourselves. And we do this, if we are followers of Yeshua, we do this knowing that he's ready to receive us. Knowing that he's merciful towards us. So we don't have a question about that, but we want to avoid that complacency and that self-sufficiency and that arrogance that can rise up in religious folk when we begin to think we are good enough because we believe this, we know him, or so forth. And we're stripping away all of our pretensions and all of our mass before the Lord. And if we don't do that, he will do it. The scripture teaches consistently, humble yourselves before the Lord. That's number one choice. Number two choice is, be humbled by the Lord. And so it's better actually to take the initiative. And so we do that. Now sometimes... Those that believe in Messiah get confused about the holidays and why are we doing this again? And, and as a Jew, I, you know, I've got this momentum from my childhood that just keeps going. I grew up with Yom Kippur. And so it's not a new thing for me. But for people who didn't grow up with Yom Kippur, The question is, well, why do we need to do this? You know, we're already saved. The the explanations can go on and on, but I can tell you something. It's useful to, to have a heart that's willing to examine yourself and look afresh at what what needs to be done. That's one reason for making this an important event in our lives. Another good reason is the early followers of Yeshua. By that I mean those who, all of whom wrote the New Testament scriptures that early. They were mindful of Yom Kippur. They marked their calendars by Yom Kippur. In fact, if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 27, verse 9. And I'll read three English translations for you. You can compare it to your own. 
Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them. The fast was already over. That's what the Greek actually says. The fast was already over. And so the question is, what was the fast? And the answer is unequivocally Yom Kippur. In other words, Yom Kippur had already concluded, and that marked the end of a season that all the believers understood. I can, I can say that because this is in the book of Acts. It's written for believers, right? It's written also for future generations who should understand this. So the fast had already concluded. There's no argument that I've ever been aware of about what fast this is. The fast of fall is Yom Kippur, the fast. Now, let's look at the New Living Translation, which sometimes in its dynamic language obscures things. This is how it goes. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. So the fast is completely removed from that translation. It's replaced by late in the fall. Obviously not Floridians. <laughs> we, I don't even know how long our fall lasts, but it's so short you can't mark anything by it. Okay, now here's the New International Version, which is interesting to me, because when the New International Version deals with Hanukkah in John chapter 10, verse uh, 22, it obscures it by not translating it in a, in a common way. It says the Feast of Dedication. But what's the word for dedication? Hanukkah. Yeah, so only in a footnote it says, that is Hanukkah. And I just want to appeal if any of the NIV publishers are listening to the podcast. When you put out your next edition, could you fix that? And let the text say Hanukkah and let the footnote say that is the Feast of Dedication. How about that? Okay, so they obscure Hanukkah in John and then in Acts 27, 9, the New International Version brings it out. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them. So rather than translate it the fast in order to make it more understandable, it says the Day of Atonement. What is the Day of Atonement? Yom Kippur. That's right. There's not another Day of Atonement. It's, this is the day of atonement. So Yom Kippur. So the book of Acts records for us something, and that is that the, the readers generally understood that the Day of Atonement happened, that it was a fast, and it was part of their life, and even helped them mark the times and the seasons, including when is it safe to sail on the Mediterranean and when is it not. It's like too late. Yom Kippur's already over. 
keep that in mind because I think it will help you remember one of the reasons why we want to continue to observe Yom Kippur is because we want to continue in the pattern of those who went before us. There's value in that. I want to look at another passage with you from the book of Hebrews chapter 9 that also speaks of Yom Kippur. The, the writer of Hebrews is explaining the connection between Yom Kippur and Yeshua's sacrifice, what he has done, and he's making a connection that he believes will be understandable to his readers, which means his readers understood Yom Kippur. That's very important. It wasn't something strange to them. They had experience in it, but they were getting new instruction that would prepare them for better understanding of what Yeshua had done and better understanding as well, what does this mean to us after the temple is no longer standing, after the Jerusalem temple is no longer standing. And so it's, it says this, starting in verse 11, Messiah came as high priest of the good things to come, say some uh, texts, and of the good things that have come, say other texts, with the greater and the more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So Messiah comes as the high priest, the high priest from the Jewish people, but for the tabernacle that the Jewish people didn't build, but that has been built in a heavenly place not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. That phrase, most holy place, is an important phrase. Aaron and I were talking about Yom Kippur today being the holiest day of the year. And things, in one sense, are either holy or they're not holy. You know, it's sort of binary. If it's holy, it's dedicated to God and and serves God's special purposes. If it's not holy, it's not dedicated to God and doesn't serve his special purposes. And so we were saying, well, so can something really be more holy? And, And in this sense, yes, the most holy place, meaning that place that has been so narrowed down, has been so identified as a special place that others do not have access to it in a normal way. There are, there's limits who can come and when they can come. This most holy place is the holy place that the temple and tabernacle were a copy of that served to locate on earth a place for God, a, a center place for God that would be special and holy from out of which he would go and do great work. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. Once for all. Say that with me. Once for all. Having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies 
for the purifying of human flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more will his blood cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is so important because it also helps us understand the continuing importance of Yom Kippur, the cleansing of the conscience, so that you can serve God. Now, about this, I want to be very clear. And this, for some people, is controversial because of their orientation. Some people think that the full ministry, the exclusive ministry of Messiah, is to save people from going to hell. In other words, he's like eternal fire insurance, something like that. He, if you believe in him, you won't go to hell. That's what you're looking for. Sign up now. Everybody who wants to go to hell, get in this line. Everybody else, get in this line. Or just raise your hand if you don't want to go to hell. It's often presented in that way, and that's just a narrow understanding. One of the benefits of being with God is you can't be in hell. Because you can't be in hell when God is where God is. Uh, He did go down there to pull some people out. But that was for a moment. But God is not in hell. So if you're with God, you will not be in hell. You can be assured of that. So then, what is missing? The writer of Hebrews is explaining something. That this sacrifice that's been made by Messiah is not just for the eternal future exclusively, but is for the present reality to cleanse your conscience. Do you see how that's a Yom Kippur theme? Because to get ready for Yom Kippur, you have to examine your conscience and find fault with yourself and find out what are the areas that you're hard-hearted in? What are the areas that you struggle in? What are the sins that you are dealing with? To cleanse your conscience from dead works. Do you know what dead works are? Dead works are the kind of human, any human activity that is meant to show God he must accept you and that you're righteous because you do the right thing. In other words, any any effort to save yourself by your own righteousness One of the dead works is I fast on Yom Kippur. How can that be a dead work? When you fast on Yom Kippur to save yourself and show to God you're righteous, it's a dead work. Why is it a work? Because it's an effort. Why is it dead? It's not alive. It won't produce anything. So dead works can be good works that have become dead because of the intention the purpose, and the way in which they're done. They may follow the outward form and be utterly dead on the inside. So we need our conscience cleansed from dead works in order to serve the living God. For this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant, which comes into effect after a death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. 
That's what the text says. So this covers all of the transgressions from the time of Sinai on, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So the sacrifice of Yeshua prepares us for life now and life to come. If you only want to get prepared for life to come, it won't help you so much. Because God wants to use you now. If God wanted you to go straight to heaven as soon as you believed, that'd be the end. You'd have your nice mini elevator ride up to heaven. You'd get there and they'd say, good, you believed. We didn't need you down there. We're just trying to get you from there to here. God is the God of heaven and earth. The writer of Hebrews understood this fully. Not only that, the writer of Hebrews understood the importance of Yom Kippur as a milestone, as an annual milestone, and as a foundation for understanding what Yeshua has done and what he yet will do for us. And for that reason, there's never a repudiation of Yom Kippur like it's a thing of the past but rather it's a, it's a foundation stone upon which Messiah's ministry is built and expanded. Yeshua understood, and the apostles understood. Isaiah understood something, that people with sincere hearts can get lost in religious activity. And that we can start trusting in the things that we do that are, we're supposed to do. But we start doing them with the wrong intention and with the wrong purpose. Also, we can become so religious that we forget that God's interested in our whole life and the way that we live. And we can make a separation between religious activity and the life God has called us to lead. For this reason, Yeshua said some very hard words in Matthew 25. I won't read all those to you. But basically, he said this, some of you think you're going to be with me forever, and you're not. Because I was thirsty, and you didn't bring me any drink. And I was in prison, and you didn't come to see me, and I was sick. I was at home. I was hungry. I I didn't have clothes. And you didn't take care of me. And they'll say, how can this be? We We never neglected you. We didn't do that. And he said, well, when you neglected the least of these, my brothers, you neglected me. And then to others, he'll say, thank you so much. Come and be with me forever. Be close to me because... When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And on and on he'll go, and they'll say, wait a minute, we we didn't do this. You're, You're missing something, Lord. We didn't do that. And he said, oh, yes, you did. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The Lord sang, in Isaiah 58, which is our Haftorah reading, he's saying, don't get confused about these things. God is watching carefully our hearts. And he wants us to serve him the way he wants to be served. So with that in mind, let's go to Isaiah 58. And this is our 
concluding passage. We'll start in verse 3. Why did we fast and you don't even look at us? Why did we humble ourselves and you don't notice? Lord, why did we even come to Yom Kippur? It didn't seem to make any difference. Here's the answer. Because on the day of your Yom Kippur fast, You were looking for what you wanted, and you still drove hard all the people who work for you. Behold, you fast with contention and strife. You even hit others with a wicked fist. You can't fast like that on Yom Kippur and make your voice heard on high. It won't work. Is it a fast like that which I choose? Just the day for a man to humble himself, just to go through the motions of bowing his head like a reed and spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Is that what you call a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? And the Lord says this, verse 6, this is the fast which I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to divide up the bread you do have with the hungry who have none, to bring the homeless poor into the house when you see those without clothes to cover them and not to run away and hide yourself from your own flesh. Do you see the connection between this and what Yeshua was talking about in Matthew 25? Do you see the connection between this and what the writer of Hebrews is talking about? Fasting in God's eyes has a purpose and an intention. We humble ourselves so that we can get clean before God. So that we can examine ourselves and recognize what more do we need from him? What yet do we need to change? What more mercy do we need? But it doesn't stop there. That's the point. We have to ask another question. The question can be put in two ways. One is, so what? Okay, so you do this, and God says, okay, you're good for another year. Is that it? Is that all you're looking for? Another way of asking the question is, what then? And that's what the writer of Hebrews, that's what... Isaiah, that's what Yeshua is getting at. What then? After you've come to the Lord, after you've humbled yourself, after you've dug deep, after you've examined yourself and found yourself lacking, after you've humbled yourself before God and said, I cannot save myself. And he says, rest assured in this. I have provided a sacrifice for your sin. And I will receive you as a dearly loved child who is forgiven. Rest assured in that. Now go serve with mercy. Spend yourself. It's not just about giving money, though it includes giving money. 
but it also includes yourself. Spend yourself on behalf of others in need. Spend yourself on behalf of those who are oppressed. Think about what they're going through. Put your heart into what the people in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands and the islands that have been devastated, what they're going through, and just say, Lord, what can I do? Think about the, the life of the immigrant in, in America who doesn't quite fit in. I, I was guilty of uh, a common sin with immigrants recently. I was talking to, uh, to a guy who had a heavy accent, and he was dressed very casually. And in my mind, I associated that accent, that dress, with um, being uneducated and some other things. It turned out he was a highly specialized doctor. Yeah, brilliant man, fun to be with. I got over my, uh, my uh, sin pretty quickly, but I took note of the sin. You see, the sin is, is evaluating people externally and thinking that because of some superficial thing, you figured them out. Now, I can tell you this, every black person I know experiences this sin on a daily basis from others. If you don't know that, it's only because you haven't, you haven't learned. Don't get all quiet on me. <laughs> I, I want to get something that's in your heart right now. You know, you know those kung fu masters who can like <coughs> reach right through the chest cavity, grab the heart, pull it out, show the guy the beating heart before he dies? That's what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> Don't get all quiet on me right now. Because I want you to stay engaged. I want you to ask yourself this question. What political position is feeding the hungry? According to Isaiah. None. According to Yeshua. None. So when people boil down political positions, right and left and conservative and liberal and progressive and, and this and that, and they boil it down to a few things and say, this is our agenda. If they're on the right and they leave out feeding the hungry, undoing the bonds of wickedness, helping the poor, the homeless, if they leave that out on the right, or they leave that out on the left, you know what? They left out the heart of Yom Kippur. Don't think they're so religious when they do that, and don't think you are either, and don't think I am either. 
Let's get this stuff right. Not right according to what other people tell us, right according to what God tells us from the Scriptures. And when we do that, you know what? We will find ourselves standing in interesting places. Sometimes people will think they don't like us because they prejudged us. And then they'll find that they love us when they get to know us. Other times they'll think that we are in solidarity with them, and it turns out we don't agree with them about major things. And they evaluated us superficially. But in any case, who do you want to be standing right with? The Lord. Him and Him alone and all those who want to be with Him. Let's continue and close. When you do this, when you get this heart right, an amazing thing happens. Breakthroughs come to you. When you become the instrument of breakthroughs for other people, the instrument of provision for others, when you show mercy to others, guess what? In God's economy, mercy is being accrued for you. Now, it's not that you're earning it, it's that's just the way it is. It's, and, and never fall into this other lie, which is, I just need to do good works, be kind, feed the poor, bring clothing to the homeless, and shelter to the homeless. Don't think that if that's all you do that you've done the right stuff. Because it's not either or. The message of Isaiah, the message of Hebrews, the message of Yeshua is it's both together, united and fully together and never inseparable. So when you spend yourself in this way, here's, here's what God says will happen. Your own light will break forth like the dawn. Your recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. So what's your righteousness going before you? He who is your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call, the Lord will answer, you will cry, he will say, he me, here am I. If you remove the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins and you will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. The passage goes on and speaks about the connection not only with Yom Kippur, but the connection with Shabbat. So this attitude continues in us on a weekly basis, continuing through all of our lives. I want to challenge you. Get out of Yom Kippur all that God has in mind for you. All that he wants to do through you. He wants to take away the sins of the world so that the world can live for him. 
He wants to use you in powerful ways and powerful places. And if you hold on to that intent and you hold on to that purpose, this Yom Kippur is going to be powerful. It's going to be powerful for you, and you are going to have an impact on people you cannot even imagine. And at the end, the Lord won't say to you, what was that all about? You'll be rejoicing. You'll be rejoicing. Other people will be rejoicing. People will be healed. Hungry people will be fed. People will come to the Lord. The discouraged will be encouraged. The downtrodden will be lifted up. And so will you. And as you show generosity, as you show mercy, as you get involved, as you spend yourself, your money, yes, but yourself too, as you do that, all these great things are promised for you. And that's why Yom Kippur ought to end when it ends with joy and gladness and with commitment, not simply saying to yourself, well, I'm glad that's over, but to say, I'm glad this has begun. Because now, at least I have all the money I was going to spend on food on Yom Kippur, I can give that to the poor. At least I can do that if I had nothing else. Lord, we thank you that Messiah has been given authority to take that scroll, that book of life. He has the book of life. Thank you, Lord, for writing our names in the book of life. We rejoice because we're in your book, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your compassion, your forgiveness, that you are the righteousness that we never had on our own. And not only did you save us, you've come to save the whole world. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your love, your power, your grace, your faithfulness. We lift up the name of Yeshua, that all of us would be drawn to you, that every one of us would confess Yeshua's out of nine, that every knee would bow, and every tongue would confess Yeshua is out of nine. If something happened to you and you became a believer, tell someone. If you decided to follow Yeshua, if you're off the fence and you're going to follow him, tell somebody. Don't keep it a secret. You can tell me. I'm always glad to hear. But tell, tell your friends. I'm following him. I made a firm decision. I'm going forward with him. Don't just keep it to yourself. Lord, we thank you for this Yom Kippur. We thank you for this Shabbat. We thank you for these days of awe. We thank you, that what you for what you have done and what you will do. And we want to be your faithful servants who spread the good news, who share the love of God through Messiah. In your name we pray. Amen. 
We're gonna close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing by yourself, would you just move over a little bit so you're with somebody else, not alone? And then we'll take a 10-minute break. And those of you that want to participate in the Yiskor service should return here, and everybody else should um, leave the sanctuary and find a quiet place to fellowship. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.